Good morning, friends. Welcome. Thank you for joining me here today. My name is Micah. I'm one of the pastors at the Vine Church in Pasco, Washington. Honored to get to spend this time with you here today. Hey, we are excited for what's happening here at church. Uh, we're coming up on a year in the building since we uh, since we made this purchase in the middle of a COVID pandemic and have been opening really slowly. But we are really anticipating, looking forward to what's coming in the months ahead, looking forward to spring and looking forward from the lightening of COVID restrictions, new opportunities together in new ways. Uh, we got a lot of things going, a lot of activities and events coming up, and we hope that you'll join us. We want you to know that you are invited. So today we continue a series in 1 John. A couple weeks ago, Carrie read the letter in its entirety for us, and uh, we talked about some major themes last week. Uh, Sarah introduced the first few verses, and today we continue a letter written by John. Now, John was one of the apostles, one of Jesus' closest followers, and uh, he's writing late in his life to the Christian churches saying, as an eyewitness of Jesus, I walked with him, he, he taught me, I, I, I experienced the miracles that he performed. He's writing to say, this is who Jesus is. And he speaks about a number of subjects. Today, one of the subjects we'll be talking about is light and darkness. Have you ever found yourself in the dark when you didn't want to be in the dark? Uh, years ago, Sarah and I started to develop some family rhythms that enables one or the other of us to take a Sabbath day away. So some uh, 18 or 24 hours that we just get to be with God, that we get to rest and recover in whatever way we need. And uh, early in that process, I was trying to figure out how I was going to take Sabbath. And so I decided to engage in uh, my spiritual places outdoors. It's a, it's a Jeep or it's a hike or it's snowboarding, but it's something out in nature. And so on this occasion, I uh, packed a backpack with a hammock and a sleeping bag and I packed my fly fishing gear up and I drove just about an hour out of town. Uh, near Dayton is Lewis and Clark Trail State Park, I think is what it's called. And it's an interesting place because it's a little oasis. It's surrounded by just farm country, very dry land, hills, of course, all irrigated as we live in an agricultural area. But um, there's this little river that runs through the valley there. And here at Lewis and Clark Trail State Park, uh, there's really kind of this oasis. I mean, a fairly thick forested area, but again, surrounded by just dry desert and farmland. And... Um, and so I, I parked the Jeep for the night and I got out and I hiked upstream and I fly fished for the afternoon and evening. And as it started to get dark, I uh, hung a hammock in two trees that kind of hung out over the water. So I'm hanging, you know, over the water uh, for the night. And I was so excited. It was just so serene and peaceful. And you listen to the water. Well, here's what I didn't realize about what I had chosen for my restful evening. Um, there's a lot of wildlife that lives in that area. And that's the only water source in close proximity. So every animal is coming to the water every night. Um, I didn't sleep more than 30 minutes at a time. It was a terrifying night, waking up, hearing big footsteps next to you. Turns out just to be deer, but uh, quite terrifying. I saw animals of all types. At one point, I woke up and I knew something, you know, you don't remember exactly what you heard or where you heard it, heard it but I flashed my headlamp on and there's three sets of eyes just standing right above my feet, looking down at me 
from within the trees. I think there were raccoons. At any rate, it was a terrifying night. To be in the dark, to wake up, to hear these sounds, I desperately wanted daylight to come. John's going to draw upon this idea of God is light. We're going to dig in and look a little bit more about the idea of light and darkness, and he's also going to talk about sin and how Jesus relates in our life story. Okay, so let's dive in. We're in 1 John chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He begins his conversation with this idea, God is light. You know, Carrie pointed out to us a few weeks ago that we live in a culture, a time, a place where light is quite accessible. We think of light as what comes on when you flip a switch. However, historically and still in some regions of the world, light is not nearly as accessible. In fact, uh, historically, finding reliable light sources was a very important task and often quite a challenging one. And so you can imagine first century readers resonating with this idea of God being light a little bit differently. Uh, the idea of light and darkness was a weightier subject in their minds and in their day-to-day -day lives. So he describes God as light in this text. Um, light makes things visible. In simplest idea, light brings things uh, in, into focus, allows us to see things clearly, whereas darkness has the ability to hide things. I mean, how many books have you read about a dystopian world where the sun has gone dark and people are living in darkness? I mean, it's, it's a terrifying idea, and he draws uh, upon that idea with a spiritual parallel, saying, but God is light. Yes, there is evil in this world, and we'll talk about sin here in a minute, but he says, but God is light, and he emphasizes this idea that in him there is no darkness at all. So he's not just a little bit of light. He's not that weak candle that you wish was brighter in your room as these first century, as this first century audience is listening. No, God is light and good light. There is no darkness where God is. Now, this isn't the first time that John has written about this idea of light and darkness. In fact, the fourth book in your New Testament is the Gospel of John. And that is this same John telling the story of walking with Jesus, telling his account of who Jesus was and his experiences with him. And he opens up John chapter 1 uh, with this idea, mentioning light as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, this speaking of Jesus. 
Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In, in him was life. That life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus telling the story of, or John telling the story of Jesus uses this idea. Jesus is the, the life. He brought life to this world, and he was the light of this world. And the darkness has not overcome it. This, of course, telling the story of Jesus' entire life, his crucifixion, his death, um, his burial, his resurrection. And yet he says, but the darkness has not overcome this light. Now, later, here in the book of 1 John that we're studying right now, uh, he's going to draw back upon this idea. Formerly, he had said Jesus was the light of the world. Now he's speaking of Jesus having come and identified for us that God is the light of the world. So what does it mean that God is light? Well, it speaks of his uprightness and his righteousness in contrast to evil. So light and darkness, God's righteousness versus evil in this world. Uh, elsewhere, like we kind of saw alluded to in John chapter 1, uh, light and darkness alludes to life versus death. There is light. There is life found in Jesus, in God. And in God, there is no darkness. He continues the thought. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. John begins to ask of his audience, are you truly walking in the light? And particularly throughout his letter, he's going to be speaking of um, the way the Christian church is dividing. Uh, false teachers and people are drawing off segments of the church with new claims about who Jesus was or his divinity or this or that. And so John writes this letter uh, as one of the last eyewitnesses of Jesus correcting some of these things. So at times he's speaking to this audience, these false teachers, these people being drawn away, these people that have lost their way. And then here, maybe he's referencing them at this point. Um, if you claim to have fellowship with Jesus and yet walk in the darkness, right? This is the idea that he's leaning into. He says, if you walk in the darkness, though you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you lie and you do not live out the truth. I think that's a really interesting statement that caught my attention this week. When we think of truth, often we think of what is factual, what is true, what is right. But John, throughout both his gospel and his letters, speaks of John in a, or speaks of truth in a little bit of a different context. It is something to be experienced. It is something to be lived out. And you see that in this text. You can't claim to have Jesus yet walk in darkness. That is not living out this truth. As we talk about living out truth, we think incarnation, we think of this idea of God who uh, loved humanity, for example, and yet he didn't just do it with words. It's not just true because he said it's true. Instead, he came and lived in human form and demonstrated love, lived life sacrificially. And so in the same way, John is drawing upon this idea of truth, saying, uh, if you claim this but live a different way, then you are not doing truth. You are not living out the truth. John continues his letter, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I think this is a remarkable statement. If we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. 
you know, it's really hard to live in relationship if we're hiding in the shadows, hiding in darkness, consumed by evil, right? And so he's describing here a result of walking in the light is that you will have true communion, uh, true relationship, depth of relationship, life-giving relationship in the context of the church of brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, and if you walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. All right, there's that word, sin. It's not a very popular one. I have many friends that have spoken with many people in the past that really just don't like the subject of sin and don't like to be told that they are sinful, which is understandable. It's not a fun subject. It's not one we love to talk about. John doesn't avoid it, and so we won't either. Let's dig in just a little bit and try to understand in the context what's he talking about when he speaks of sin. Well, let's start with where he starts when he speaks of sin. You know, uh, he doesn't, he's not standing on a street corner with a sign that says you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Uh, That's not something I think is the right starting place in our conversation as we try to share the good news, the gospel with people. Um, Instead, he starts with this idea, Jesus purifies you from it. Now, throughout the Bible, sin is kind of assumed. Uh, In fact, Jesus assumes it in the ways he talks with people and engages. It is assumed that there is evil in this world. It is assumed that people sin throughout the Bible. And it's also explicitly stated that we do sin. Now, we don't love those ideas. We don't love to talk about that. But I think it's well worth just a moment of our time uh, to look at it in a little more depth. Uh, So, Uh, When I was reading this week, studying on the subject, how do we want to engage the subject and understand it more fully? I was uh, reading in a dictionary of biblical theology, and the author introduced the article on sin in this way. Sin is a riddle, a mystery, a reality that eludes definition and comprehension. Perhaps we most often think of sin as wrongdoing or transgression of God's law. Sin includes a failure to do what is right, but sin also offends people. It is violence and it is lovelessness towards other people and ultimately rebellion against God. Further, the Bible teaches that sin involves a condition in which the heart is corrupted and inclined towards evil. The concept of sin is complex and the terminology large and varied. He does a good job of saying sin is not maybe as definable in simple terms as sometimes we uh, we think it or we feel the gut reaction we have as we talk about it. For instance, let's just do a little bit with uh, word studies. Um, the primary word used for sin in the Old Testament is hata, and this is used uh, some 595 times in the Old Testament, more than um, the other primary words combined. Hata is the primary word used, and it has to do with um, to be mistaken or to be found lacking or to be at fault or to miss the mark. I don't know if you've ever, ever heard that term, but like in a competition where javelins are being thrown, the word could be used to say they missed the mark, they missed the target. And so this is a primary conversation of sin in the Old Testament, to miss the mark. It would have to do with not aligning with God's intent, his plan, his will, or his law. Now in the New Testament, the primary Greek term is hamartia, which has to do with failure or fault or error. So yes, sin does have to do with moral guilt in some contexts, but it's also a much broader subject than that. 
You know, if we think in really sober terms, if I pause and look at different aspects of my life, whether that is my family life, uh, my work life, even my driving to and from the office, there's nothing I navigate perfectly. Perfection is not a part of my condition. So I think it's reasonable, at least for me, and I would encourage us to consider uh, for all of us that we do fall short. We do miss the mark. We are not perfect in any sense. And so when it comes to our spiritual relationship with God or our ability to walk in the way of Jesus or to follow God, I think the same principle naturally applies. Kind of like Jesus and the Bible assume there is sin, we can recognize that we don't navigate things in this world perfectly. We are flawed and humble creatures in pursuit of the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus, and we don't navigate it perfectly. And so John goes on to speak a little bit more about this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, uh, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So he has used in the text here uh, three different conditional statements. If we claim to have fellowship, we talked about a minute ago, if we claim to have fellowship with him but we walk in darkness, uh, then we do not do the truth. It's an if-then sort of scenario. The second two, or the latter two, the second and third, have to do with sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth, again, is not in us. If we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So he's speaking here of kind of the consequences, the, the cause and effect of the ways we will live, the ways, uh, the things we will understand and the things we'll do as we walk in the way of Jesus. Again, he's also speaking about people that have broken off from the church and false teachings that have come about in the church. And as he speaks of consequences, he speaks of consequences of walking in the darkness, right? Um, you do not have and you do not do the truth is what he's defined so far. He also speaks of the consequences, the results of walking in the light. Earlier he mentioned you have fellowship with God and you have fellowship with each other as you walk in the light. And here he identifies um, that Jesus' blood purifies us from all sin. You know, I find the conversation of sin and of um, Jesus' cleansing power uh, kind of a unique and challenging juxtaposition. Like, sin is often spoken of in the Bible as something that's unavoidable, that everyone sins. And so in my most cynical thoughts, I could say, well, how can we be held accountable for something that we couldn't really avoid? Of course, in Jesus, there is power to overcome sin. We do have freedom in this world to follow and to walk in the way of Jesus. And yet, I'm flawed. I don't do it perfectly all the time. So this subject of forgiveness, of purification. In the latter part of our reading today, it's um, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. John says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here, John uh, turns the attention away from maybe these false teachers or correcting these claims, and he, he turns it back to the listeners, to the audience, to those sitting in a little church gathering in someone's courtyard or home, listening to this letter written by John to them. And, and he, he says to them, dear children, 
John often refers to them as that. Of course, he is an elderly man and a, and a father figure in the church. And so he says to these followers of Jesus in the first century, Dear children, I write this so that you wouldn't sin. Don't sin. Avoid it. Choose to walk in the light. Choose to live a different way. But if you do sin, which we know we all do, Jesus offers forgiveness. Jesus is the hope not only for you. He identifies Jesus' forgiveness is an, is offered to, extended to even the whole world. Jesus is referred to in, in uh, John's writing here as an atoning sacrifice. Now, that would make a lot of sense and resonate in the ears of a first century Jewish listener. Uh, to us, maybe not so much so. You see, um, to an atoning sacrifice, atonement has to do with making amends or reparations for some wrong that's been done, some separation, some division of relationship. People are separated by, in this case, separated from God by sin. And so this is the idea of um, amending that relationship, repairing that relationship, reparations for wrongdoing. Now, in the Old Testament, this was done through animal sacrifice, which is Kind of, kind of seems a barbaric term in conversation, but this is the terms of the Old Testament scriptures and the Israelite people. They would offer sacrifices. The priests would offer sacrifices, atoning sacrifices, and the blood of that animal would bring cleansing to the people of Israel. The death of that animal would result in life for people as opposed to receiving the consequence or death themselves. So animal sacrifices were common. Now, there's this beautiful language of Jesus as the Lamb of God that is the sacrifice that uh, that pays the price for the sin of all of the world. The sacrifices would no longer be offered over and over again for sins offered, but instead Jesus' perfect life and atoning sacrifice would be that sacrifice that covers, atones for all of humanity. And this is what John is speaking of in the text today. Jesus and his atoning sacrifice. You know, what's unique about Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, as the atoning sacrifice, is that whereas an animal sacrifice remains dead, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death once and for all. This is good news. This is at the core of the good news, the gospel message. So, though sin might not be a, a real fun subject to talk about, uh, I think it's an incredibly important one, and John speaks in remarkable terms about this subject. He says that God is light, and we have been given light, and we are free to walk in Jesus, to walk in light. And where we are sinned, sinful, where we are flawed, we are covered. Jesus has dealt with all of that, and so we are free to walk in a new way. You know, this is, it's interesting as we take just a number of verses out of a text. Of course, he'll go on to speak a lot more about light and darkness. And as we look at other sections, as we continue our series, we'll hear more of what he has to say about that. But today, we can place ourselves in the shoes of a first century listener. What did he have to say for us? He spoke good news hope for us. There is forgiveness and there is new life, walking in light found in Jesus. He says, know this, as a child of God, you are forgiven. Jesus has paid the price. And he says, so get up and walk and walk in the light. Experience fellowship with God and experience fellowship with each other. 
This truly is good news. So, as God said in the beginning, let there be light. Let's pray as we close out today. God, thank you uh, that you are light. Jesus, thank you that you have brought light into this world. Um, We thank you for your sacrifice and your love that we are offered forgiveness. God, help us to um, acknowledge uh, our flaws, our weakness, our sin. Uh, God, thank you that you have and you are cleansing us. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. Spirit, we invite you to lead us that we might walk in the way of Jesus, walk in light in the week to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey friends, thank you so much for joining me today. I pray that you have a blessed week and we'll see you again soon.